where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. The College of Psychologists of Ontario is demanding that Jordan Peterson undergo retraining on social media etiquette. Why, you might ask? Because according to Peterson, he retweeted Pierre Polyevre and criticized prime tyrant Justin Trudeau and his political allies, i.e., he exercised his freedom of speech. Oh, wait, this just in. I also need retraining, too, for social media etiquette. I've just found that out. Public unsafety minister Marco Mendicino is now saying that the federal government is willing to work with potential third parties to forcibly buy back legally owned firearms from responsible Canadian gun owners. Mendicino said, quote, if you won't let us keep you safe, we'll make you make us keep you safe by force, end quote. Finally, the Liberal government's plan to move all Canadians into electric vehicles by 2035 will cost Canadian taxpayers about $100 billion dollars. It will also destroy portions of the planet due to mining for the precious metals used to make batteries that aren't recyclable that will destroy the environment even more. Not to mention the forced slave labor used in countries to manually mine for said metals. Man, where's Captain Planet when you need him? It is January the 5th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us again on the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Wherever you get us from, we just ask that you would interact with our content, that you would like, subscribe, rate, and review, because that helps us get our content out to more people, and we know that people need to hear this content. So thank you again prematurely, uh, preemptively for doing that for us. Also, you can get all our programs at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. That's flfnetwork.com. Just at the bottom of the screen, you can see that, flfnetwork.com. You can also get us on their handy FLF Network app, which you can download at the Google Play or the Apple App Store. So we definitely would suggest that you go over there and that you would check that out so you can get all our content right there on demand. Also, be sure to go over to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com. That's libertycoalitioncanada.com, where you can check out all things Liberty Coalition Canada over there. And be sure to sign up for our emailing list. It's at the bottom of the front page. And also, if you would consider it, we would ask that you would prayerfully consider leaving a donation at the top of the page there. You can click on that link. 
or you can, believe it or not, scan the QR code right here and it'll take you directly to the page if you want to support our news and analysis so we can push back against Main Street Media, Legacy Media Lies. You can also get a charitable tax receipt with that as well, thanks to our partnership with Christian Week. Um, so you definitely want to go and do that. Also, finally, reach out to us directly at info at Liberty Coalition Canada. Dot com. That's info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. And we would just really be thrilled to, to talk to you, to interact with you. Uh, we really appreciate all the comments uh, that we've gotten from our dear listeners over the last little while. Andrew, we have a lot to cover. But before we do that, you have a word from one of our sponsors. I do. And even before that, we want to say that for this episode, when you reach out to us, maybe what you can do is you can send us an email and let us know your thoughts on Jordan Peterson's tweet. Let us know your thoughts on the social media etiquette re-education training that he has to undergo. And maybe you can include in that comments about your experience. Have you had an experience recently where whether it's in workplaces or in schools or in homeschool co-ops where you've had to undergo or you've been asked to endure some sort of racial sensitivity or hate speech re-education training, let us know about that when you you, you email us. And you can email us. we got a brand new, fresh email address, mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. That's mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Let us know your thoughts about that. As we find ourselves very early in this new year, thinking back on last year and thinking about what is ahead of us in terms of the fight for freedom and liberty, resisting tyranny and fighting for freedoms in Canada can be rather wearying. What we all need is some deliciously brewed fuel for our bodies and minds. That's why you need to get your beans from Resistance Coffee. Why would you buy coffee from people who hate freedom and the foundations of what make Canada a great country? Starbucks pays their employees to travel out of state to murder their babies. McDonald's won't let unjabbed parents visit their sick kids in Ronald McDonald clown hospitals. Tim Hortons, who's not only tracking your movement through their app, won't let unboosted people attend their woke summer camps. Spend your money on coffee that not only tastes way better than these Marxist companies, but also supports and donates to freedom in Canada. Go to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC today and get 10% off your first purchase and indulge in some liberal tears or maybe some black gold. That's resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. Make sure to use that slash LCC so that they know we sent you. And like we said at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about our co-patriot, our, mm -hmm. our countryman, Jordan Peterson. And, uh, and I mean, he's, he's apparently he's getting everything wrong. He's just wrong about pronouns. He's wrong about <laughs> etiquette. He's wrong about, he's wrong about everything. Uh, Matt, why don't you kind of tee this up for us? Yeah, this is a pretty, sh well, shocking in the sense that, can you believe that it's true? But uh, unsurprising in the fact that 
it's obviously true. Of course, Canada would go down this road. But news has come out directly from Jordan, Jordan Peterson himself about the fact that the College of Psychologists of Ontario, the CPO, has threatened to revoke Dr. Peterson's license to practice clinical psychology unless he subjects himself to a re-education program. As you mentioned uh, on the top of the program there, Andrew, it's apparently a social media etiquette training, if that's not Orwellian for you, that Dr. Peterson will have to submit himself to um, if he wants to retain his his license um, because of apparently some political stances that he has taken publicly via social media. So I want to actually just bring up the tweet thread that uh, Dr. Peterson uh, shared with people because I think it's really important for for us to understand uh, just just exactly what what is being said, what is being um, reported here. So um, Dr. Peterson shared this on his profile on January 3rd, 2023. And it says breaking the Ontario College of Psychologists CPO Ontario has demanded that I submit myself to mandatory social media communications retraining with their experts for among other crimes. This is crazy. Retweeting Pierre Polyev, who's the official opposition leader in Canada, um, and criticizing Justin Trudeau and his political allies okay that's insane wait is this russia no you was know it, it's no, no, it's so actually is this, is this china where those who criticize the 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 leading party <laughs> are imprisoned or they're made to disappear and they have to that we're we're in russia or china that's where we are <laughs> it's right? actually funny because i i just saw that china duh uh, is is <laughs> is trending uh, on on uh, Twitter. So that's pretty funny. And it's pretty apropos, um, given the fact that this situation is unfolding here. So um, according to Peterson, he has been accused of harming people, although none of them, none of the complaints involved uh, in the current action were clients of mine, it should read, past or present, uh, or were even acquainted with any of the clients of his. I have to take a course of such training with reports documenting my progress, quote unquote, uh, or face an in-person tribunal and suspension of my right to operate a licensed clinical as a licensed clinical psychologist. About a dozen people from all over the world submitted complaints about my public statements on Twitter and Rogan over a four-year period out of the 15 million who follow me on social media, claiming that I have harmed them or harmed people, not them, with my views. In its wisdom, CPO Ontario decided to pursue these complaints, even though they could have dismissed them as vexations. I have been accused of harming people, kind of just a retweet of what I already said, and even though many of uh, them falsely claimed that they were or had been clients of mine and were allowed by the CPO Ontario to have their 
complaints investigated despite this falsehood. We are now in the situation in Canada under Justin Trudeau where practicing professionals can have their livelihoods and public reputations threatened in a various seri- very serious manner for agreeing with the official opposition and criticizing major government figures. If I comply the terms to the terms of my re-education and my punishment will be announced publicly. I've already had the second most serious category of punishment levied against me and have been deemed at high risk to re-offend. And this is a warning that I think is apropos here. Canadians, your physicians, lawyers, psychologists, and other professionals are now so intimidated by their commissar overlords that they fear to tell you the truth. This means that you, your care and legal counsel has been rendered dangerously unreliable. Ask Queen's University Law Professor Party Bruce, Bruce Party, a friend of the show, he's been on with us, um, if he concurs on the legal front. So that's the situation that we're dealing with, Andrew, is we have one of the most influential public intellects, not only in Canada, but across the entire world, who has to now apparently undergo re-education for the public stances that he's taken the the support of the official opposition in the Canada in Canada in Pierre Polyev and also the critis, criticizing the Justin Trudeau regime. This is absolutely Orwellian and draconian and insane. But again, is it really that surprising, Andrew? No, I mean this. Th- this is like V for Vendetta. That's that that that's where we're at. That we are in the, we are in this world where. You know, for as much as our elected officials and legacy media will level against us, you're white supremacist, you're fascist, we're anti-fascists, you're thisism, you're thatism. This is essentially the definition of fascism and totalitarianism. That you you can't even criticize the prime minister without being scolded for it. And and the point that Peterson raises there at the end is is very concerning. If your health professionals, if lawyers, if people who are supposed to, from a position of objectivity, deal with facts and statistics and reality and represent you, if they are not allowed to criticize, if they are not allowed to speak out against a particular narrative, then how can you trust them? That as you were reading those words, that's a thought that came into my mind. How can I trust my doctor? If my doctor is not allowed to represent a countervailing narrative, if my doctor is not allowed to say something like, these mandates are dangerous, then maybe you shouldn't, given your health record and your age, maybe you shouldn't get five jabs in you. If my doctor is not allowed to say that without the threat of having his license revoked, how can I trust him? And this is the reason why we can't trust legacy media, because they're being paid by it, it is state funded. So how can we trust that what they're saying is true? Of course, they're not going to criticize and speak out against the people who are paying for their bills. So it, it's just, it's a supreme lack of trust in all of these industries and establishments now, which is a I mean, is a big problem. That's a, that's a huge, 
concern. Who, who can you trust? Who can you rely on? But on top of that, the fact that you were not allowed to criticize without fear of punishment, again, this this feels more like China and Russia, where journalists who try to cover the truth are quite literally disappeared. You don't see them anymore. They're put in prison. So this should alarm Canadians. This should alarm Canadians. And, you know, we, we don't see when a little person, a nobody, has their account banned or they're suspended from Facebook or they're qu- kicked off Twitter. No one no one blinks an eye. You know, no one knows. Who cares? But someone like Jordan Peterson, who has a platform to be able to bring this out into the light, it, it's a good thing that it's a platform to bring this out into the light because this will hopefully wise up a bunch of Canadians to say this is, whoa, 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 this is dangerous. This is a dangerous place to be where you can't criticize. I mean, this is, yeah, this this is like Russia at the turn of the 20th century, the sort of thing that they would do to dissidents, to people who wouldn't go along with the prevailing narrative. So I'm thankful that he has put this out on Twitter, and I'm hoping that he actually does reveal the fullness of what they said and what they're requiring of him, <laughs> which I'm sure he will, depending on how this goes. Uh, but this is this is all the more reason why you need to have alternative forms of media, alternative forms of legal stuff and representation and news and analysis, you cannot trust the legacy media. You cannot trust what you get from the mainstream health establishment. You need to find truth at other sources that you know are not going to be threatened by what the colleges or what the official governing bodies will do. And you also know they're not on the take. So that's why you love us and you support us and you watch us because you know we're not afraid. Okay, bring bring on all the right. Like I'm not going to get forced to take any sensitivity training, right? Yeah. Matt's not going to send me into re-education, social media editing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yeah. force you to take a Maoist struggle section. And th- th- yeah. this is essentially what this is. Now it's it's more soft, but this is where this stuff begins. This is incrementally being forced on people and it's it's disgusting and i've talked on on this program federal employees are instructed by the government that they cannot speak out against their employer because they are employed by them and they erroneously um equate the public sector with the private sector in their justification of the, if you speak out against your employer in the pi- private sector, well, then you're you know you're going to get fired. So we can do that in the public sector. Yeah, like but, okay, if you but, at McDonald's, for example, you can't say yes. McDonald's burger sucks and my bosses are awful. Then they'd say, well, we're going to fire you. That's different. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because the nature of the two sectors is completely different. The public sector companies. Or, or private sector, pardon me, companies within that sphere, their main responsibility is their sh- shareholders, is the profitability of their company. And if somebody that is employed by them is going to directly affect that profitability, they have a responsibility to their shareholders to make sure that person is not going to do that anymore. So talk to or fired or whatever that might have maybe have to be. But Public sector employees are, or the public sector is there, there to be public servants and they're to serve the public interest and the needs. And civil servants are there to hold 
uphold Canadians freedoms and and securities and you know it's it's weird in the sense that the, the same people who are employees of the government um are also involved in the civic sphere they're also the co constituents of the government as well so it it's not a, an analogous relationship at all and the government's there to serve um to serve the citizens of Canada. So unless if, if they want to be really consistent and they're going to say, well, public sector employees shouldn't be able to vote, which maybe is appropriate. Um, you know, then we can have these conversations, but this is par for the course. This is what the Trudeau regime right. has been and doing you know what, though, over and over and over again. And it's, it's, we don't live in a society in Canada where we have freedom of speech, where we have the freedom of the press, and it's it's truly dis disgusting and it's truly truly saddening that you know they're going to be this brazen, right? Uh, they're going to come after a guy like Jordan Peterson who has, I mean, the means to defend himself. He has the platform to defend himself, but Joe Blow doesn't. So how many people are like? Dr. Peterson, like they're going after him to set an example, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something we have to understand that this is a extraordinarily dangerous precedent. And it's, it's just par for the course. And this, this gets to the reason why we need to speak out against this stuff and why we need to, we can't just blithely go along with everything that public health Canada says, or all these government institutions, because we know that the government's entire body their entire infrastructure is on the scale now so what they're saying all these institutions are no longer independent they're they're no longer free to speak freely and we have to truly question their legitimacy because of government intervention into these areas so and it's crazy but Matt, but this is one of the good things to come out of this. And one of the good things that we've seen that's come out of the last mm -hmm. three years is that the ugly mask of neutrality has been ripped off the face of a violent, ferocious, pagan secularism that is neither neutral nor innocuous, mm -hmm. but that is coming after Western civilization. So the fa we, we see this now, right? And we can, we can just track this. We see without a doubt, and we saw this during the Public Order Emergency Commission, that the elites despise regular Canadians and have no problem lying and wielding their authority to crush normal Canadians because they can. We know now that if you have a particular view about freedom, you're despised. If you have a particular view about medicine, you're despised. If you're vaccine hesitant, what are they saying? Well, they're saying get some psychotherapy and some drugs to help you deal with the problem. Right. It's 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 clear now that there, is, there is no neutrality. Everything has been revealed. The curtain has been pulled back. And what we see is this isn't just a, oh, they'll do them and we'll do us. But they are coming after the very foundations of Western civilization. They are coming after the truth that we know to be so because God has declared it to be so. And I'm, I'm thankful for that, at least. I'm thankful that our enemy right our political social enemy is mm -hmm. open about it and yeah. not pretending to be a friendly or not pretending 
that we're not adversaries. At least now, they're telling now, me to my now, face, we're coming for you. Now, Christians in the church more broadly have to wake up to that reality. They have to stop pretending and, and believing in the myth of neutrality and wake up to the fact the mask has slipped, guys. The fact that you didn't understand this and you went along with it for so long, maybe that forces you to want to retrench and say, no, 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 no. But guys, it's obvious. This is obvious. And if we're truly going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to fight for their freedoms. We have to push back against this totalitarian insanity. And like I said, Jordan Peterson is just the tip of the iceberg. He, they're going to try and make an example of them to cool any dissent, right? That's what this is trying to do. They're trying to be a cooling saucer to any of these professionals within psychology that would dare speak out against um, the government or have a conservative thought enter, exit their minds publicly. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. But it's not unsurprising given the tenor of our day and given the entire um, thrust of where our, you know, our relationship is going with our government and with these governing bodies and these institutions. It's bad news, Andrew. It's real bad news. Well, Matt, speaking about our federal government, we need to talk about our friends over at Bull Bitcoin. And the truth is, as we've seen, our federal government's response to economic difficulties is to print more money until it's worthless, driving up the cost of everything, essentially, essentially stealing from your hard-earned pay. They also want to jack up taxes. We saw this on last episode, five new tax increases because they want to take more of your money so that they can, they can steal from you and also make your money more worthless. On top of that, they want to monitor your spending by way of a centralized digital currency, and they want to control you by way of digital ID. What you need to do is take control of your own resources and be responsible for your own money, which is your responsibility. Bull Bitcoin wants to help you do just that. Bull Bitcoin is a 100% self-funded, freedom-minded Canadian Bitcoin exchange that wants to protect your financial freedom and help you protect your resources. If you're at all aware of what's going on in our country, you should seriously consider connecting with my friends over at Bull Bitcoin and buy at least some Bitcoin today. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Have all of your questions answered. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. So our, our federal government and the powers that be don't just want to control your speech and they don't just want to punish you for speaking out. They also want to punish you for being a responsible Canadian gun owner by either taking away legitimate tools that you would use for hunting, despite the lies, and I'm, th I'm thankful at the very least that Justin Trudeau was honest about that towards the end of the year, that he said, yeah, we are coming for some of your hunting, hunting weapons because scary, bad, bad, ooh, big bullets don't like you. That was basically mm -hmm. what he said. He was tripping over his own whatever. i got to be careful here. So, But in, in any event, so now they want to come for your weapons all the more and as if that wasn't enough, you now have the open airing, right? The, the, the open saying that if we can't do it all on our own, that they plan on using quote unquote third party organizations to help steal Canadians guns. So this story comes to us from True North News and the National Post. The federal government has banned some 1500 firearms in Canada so far. 
and their plan is to get them out of the hands of Canadian gun owners. This plan would require owners to either sell their firearms to the government, again, it's it's a required buyback, it's not a voluntary one, or have them rendered inoperable at federal expense, so more of taxpayer money. In a recent interview with the Canadian press, Safety Minister or Unsafety Minister Marco Mendicino said, quote, we're looking at a variety of options when it comes to delivering on the buyback program, but we're taking the time that is necessary to get it right, he told the Canadian press. It's going to involve a number of critical stakeholders and partners, including law enforcement, but we're also working with other levels of government. We're working with industry leaders. We're working with potential third parties. We are exploring all of these options. That sounds terrifying. Uh, Bill C-21, the proposed gun control legislation from the Liberal government, will, among other technical specifications concerning bore diameter and muzzle energy, will ban centerfire semi-automatic rifles or shotguns designed with a detachable magazine that can hold more than five cartridges. A number of these are, in fact, used for hunting. Concerning this bill and the buyback, Mendicino said, quote, we respect law-abiding gun owners. No, they don't. Can I just interject? They don't, but whatever. We respect law-abiding gun owners, including hunters and farmers and indigenous peoples. And we will take a fair and equitable approach when it comes to compensating them for firearms, which are ultimately determined to be prohibited under Bill C-21. Or they could just not take the guns at all. He continues, we are mindful about the need to be transparent and fiscally prudent. Yeah, right. Transparency and fiscal prudence do not mark our federal government. But they're committed to to be transparent, fiscally prudent when it comes to the creation and the launch and ultimate delivery of the buyback program. I embrace any opportunity to work with parliamentarians, regardless of partisan stripe, to pass this legislation. I firmly believe that it will help to better protect our communities from gun violence. Matt, let me ask you a question. Do you think that taking more and more of firearms away from responsible gun owners will be better for Canada and that it will help to better protect our community from gun violence, a la unsafety minister Marco Mendicino? No. <laughs> I don't like okay. uh, these, these sorts of programs don't work anywhere. Like Australia, they tried to do this. It didn't work. Uh, they, uh, many of the, many of the guns that they were supposed to buy back, they didn't buy them back. It cost them an insane amount of money. Um, all these programs, they just don't actually work. And this is, this is totally ideologically fueled, and this is. Wait, you mean so you mean when Australia did this, all of the <laughs> criminals that had purchased weapons illegally, they didn't say, "Well, I mean, I'm not one to break the law." So yeah. now that it's illegal to own these firearms, I mm. I might as well just bring them back. I mean, I'm not sure I can rob a bank with a knife or steal someone's purse with a bat. So if it's against the law, I'll I'll give back my guns. They didn't just line up. All the criminals didn't just line up to give back their weapons. That didn't happen in Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's just like uh, so many of these gun re regulations that are put in places. Um, I mean, they don't have the desired effect. Like you can look no further than places like California, Chicago. They have some of the most gun crime 
in in the United States of America, and they're some of the most regulated places in the entire United States as it pertains to gun regulations. So we see that there's a very spurious correlation between the amount of regulations on gun laws and the actual diminishment of gun violence. In Canada, gun violence is is actually um, pretty low, all things considered. Um, and actually, it hasn't, It's it's gone up with more regulations. It's not gone down. So that's, that's the problem. Like, again, this is a government, it's not respecting people's freedoms. It's not respecting their rights. It is totally disrespecting law-abiding gun gun owners despite what they're saying um and it and is indigenous a, people too because we we've mentioned this on previous shows yeah. that federations the sovereign federation of indigenous nations mm-hmm. have come right out and they've said this is not respecting us at all it's yeah. our land to hunt the way that we want and we have a degree of sovereignty you can't now come in and take the weapons that we use and there was one particular person who said even handguns we use them when we're up there hunting. We have mm-hmm. them on us as well for defense purposes or whatever. So no, it's a lie. They're not respecting anyone at all. Which, which is again, it, again, the government isn't there to prov- like. We've talked about this on the program before. I think Andrew, the role of the government in bearing the sword isn't to just preempt every circumstance that could possibly exist and base laws around those to to supposedly keep everybody safe because that that's going to lead to an overweening gigantic like infinite state right because there's a so many things that can lead to um harms right we're even seeing a language that's coming out of the united states when it uh, comes to uh, pete Buttigieg saying that they have to end vehicle deaths well how are you going to do that there's a there's a level of risk when you get in your car that just so unless the government's going to prevent you from riding in the cars which is probably the way that we're going you can't get rid of that risk so just even this language, this idea that it's the government's responsibility to protect citizens from all perceived harms is going to lead to a totalitarian state. And it's going to lead to the diminishment of um, people's freedoms. No, what the government, biblically speaking, is there, they're there to bear the sword and to give retributive justice to people based on harms that are actually not done, not perceived harms that could potentially be done. And this is the the problem with laws like this, is it's just more of the same government totalitarian overreach into every area of life. And this is a theme that we see from this government. And I have to remind people, this is the, the Trudeau regime is the least popular regime ever in Canadian politics. They didn't win the popular vote. They're relying on a supply and confidence deal with a a communistic, socialistic party in the NDP to enact all this legislation. They are far leftist. They do not have a mandate to do this. And they're doing it against 
you know, if this was if this is what they actually ran on in their platform, I guarantee they would have lost even more votes. But yet they're doing all this with a thin mandate, razor thin mandate, but they're pushing all of this down on Canadian citizens. And that is, again, a, so a sign of just government totalitarianism. And there's no other way to describe it, Andrew. I'm, and, I'm also I'm also concerned about what what who these third parties are, right? Like, yeah. who are the third parties? <laughs> We're going to like, I don't I don't know. And he didn't say, but clearly they have something like whenever they say whenever something like that is said, it's not just, you know, we haven't really thought about it. But if we need to avail ourselves of potential third party help, we will. No, they clearly have something in mind, and I'm I'm curious and a little concerned to know what it is that they have in mind. So, and so it's not enough that they can't. It's not enough that they they exercise tyranny. They have to do it at taxpayer expense, and then also at taxpayer expense. Yeah, they have to contract out third parties mm -hmm. like the Alberta Health Services did when they yeah. put fences around Grace Life Church. They had to contract out a private security company mm -hmm. at taxpayer expense. To erect those two fences so that i mean i don't know what it's going to mean but it, i'm surely it can't be good no exactly and again like i i'm not a huge gun guy you you're more into guns than i am not saying anything specifically we're but... not saying anything specifically <laughs> um we're not but... it's just a turn of phrase here on yes on the yeah. yeah but I don't want to pay for the government to steal law-abiding citizens' guns. This is theft. This is absolutely the confiscation of of if private they, property they, they through steal taxation. Your money to steal yeah. my guns. Yeah, if I and, had them, in theory. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's just it's so perverse. And it's I mean, we covered this at length of that. This is a precursor of so many totalitarian regimes throughout history doing gun buyback programs or confiscating uh, citizens guns and this is an ominous sign again this is this is the theme i guess of today's show is ominous signs of where our government's going and where through government coercion institutions in canadian society are going it's so really it appears, bleak man it, it appears that matt is fed up with I am. <laughs> our federal government but you know what else you know what else we're fed up with? And I'm sure you're fed up with as well. Big banks. Tell me, when was the last time you really felt like they helped you with anything and didn't just treat you like a number? Have you asked yourself the question, why does it feel more woke in our bank branches than a university campus? How can they really offer you the best investment advice when they are driven by the latest progressive ideology? If you're fed up and want some real investment advice, minus all the corporate socialism and woke capitalism, then give my friends at Rocklink a call, 905-631-5462, or send them an email, info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink.com. So we have, we have governing bodies, people that yield tremendous power. They want to curb your speech. They want to control what you say and re-educate you. And then we have our federal government that is going to steal money to steal weapons from Canadians. And they're going to use, quote unquote, third parties to do it. Mm -hmm. So is there any surprise that another agenda, another very important thing for our federal government, which which is their 
their electric vehicle goals will be costing Canadians upwards of $100 billion, according to federal estimates. So more money, more tyranny, more control, more impinging on the freedoms of Canadians. This is right from the Government of Canada's proposed regulated sales targets for zero emissions vehicles. We have a link to the website below. Quote, the proposed regulations would supplement the emission standards by adding requirements for manufacturers and importers to meet annual ZEV sales targets. That's zero emissions vehicles. These would begin for the 2026 model year with a requirement that at least 20% of new light duty vehicles offered for sale be ZEVs and would increase annually to at least 60% by 2030 and 100% for 2035. So, Jim, just stop there. The government will be requiring that all manu- all vehicle manufacturers by the year 2035, all of their vehicles will be zero emissions vehicles, electric vehicles. Let's continue. Achieving Canada's goal of net zero emissions by 2050 requires ensuring that all new light duty vehicles sold are ZEVs by 2035. Given the average age of a vehicle is 15 years, putting in place a 100% ZEV sales target by 2035 will help end the use of these polluting vehicles by 2050. So that's the plan. Now let's talk about how that's actually going to affect us. Federal estimates show that this plan will cost Canadian taxpayers upwards of, as I've stated already, $100 billion. As first reported by Blacklock's reporter, the regulatory impact analysis statement, the bulk of the spending will be in electricity usage. Electricity usage alone will cost $55.5 billion dollars while $24.5 billion could be spent by consumers on purchasing electric vehicles and charging stations. Meanwhile, the federal government would have to dish out $16 billion in subsidies to manufacturers and another $1.7 billion in subsidies for buyers. The policy analysis statement also outlined another $680 million in spending on electric charging stations will be required, as well as $500 million worth of Canada Infrastructure Bank financing. The total estimate of $99.4 billion in costs does not include maintenance and other costs like insurance. So I don't even... I don't know know where to go from here. So this is what I'll say, and and then Matt, you can... Uh, I, I can just, I can, I can feel your frustration <laughs> on, on in, in, in the next province over. But all of their, all of their righteous virtue signal talking about got to get rid of these polluters, got to save the environment. The truth is this: what is required to produce these electric vehicles is absolutely decimating parts of the world, like sub-Saharan Africa where these precious metals are being found between strip mining and the sort of mining that's done, it is crushing 
the ecological systems there. You also have much seepage into the ground when you're mining for these metals, which is going to destroy the whole water system. On top of that, the batteries that go in electric vehicles are not recyclable, which means they'll end up in a dump somewhere or they'll be crushed along with the vehicles with all of that wonderful lithium and cobalt then seeping again into the water and into the ground. On top of that, like we talked about last episode, it is a it is a modern day slave trade for people who are working here, working for a dollar a day, 50 cents a day American by hand when it's supposed to be industrial mines. So it, you have slaves, you have environmental destruction, you have ecological destruction in order to save the planet from vehicles that because of the free market and ingenuity are burning cleaner now than they ever have and are not actually contributing to that many problems in terms of of pollution but it, so that in their virtue signaling righteousness they're going to destroy lives and destroy environments in order to save the environment from something that isn't really that much of a problem so and it's going to cost us a hundred billion dollars to do it so yay yeah you're again you're <laughs> taxpayer so I think this is really important because all these stories tell the same story despite the differences. We're spending billions upon billions upon billions of dollars from our feds to curb Canadians' rights and freedoms. We see it in this free speech when it pertains to Jordan Peterson that these institutions are, thanks in part due to a lot of public pressure, are cracking down on free speech. We've seen our government do that. Um, they spend money to do that. They've been spending money to um, <laughs> bail out media sources, which means that they're not free and independent news sources because you can't be free and independent of something that you're literally dependent upon. So we're, we're seeing millions and billions of dollars of taxpayer money being used to destroy a free and independent press and curb free speech in Canada. In our second story, we're seeing the government use taxpayer money to limit Canadians' abilities to protect their families, to engage in lawful recreational sports. And they're doing this in a really ad hoc fashion. And then thirdly, with this, we see we're spending billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to execute our government's ideological aims, their enviro-communo-fascistic goals that are in line with the UN 2030 agenda and are, again, looking forward to a zero emissions future by 2050. And in order to do this, our government has to, again, put their entire coercive power behind you know stopping mar normal market behavior they're putting the entire full weight of our federal government behind massaging market behavior through coercion it says right off the bat when you go to this page that we're going to link here the environment climate canada 
or climate change Canada page about zero emission vehicles. The Canadians want this to happen in their future. But that's belied by the fact that our government now, has which Canadians, use... which Canadians, yeah, exactly. It? It's belied by the fact do that farmers, do farmers want it. No, it, and it's it's belied by the no. fact that they have to use all the course of power of the federal government to force market behavior change. And even with all that they've done up to this point, we're still talking about less than ten percent of people going out and purchasing vehicles, even in twenty twenty two. Uh, that are EVs. So if if by by Canadians overwhelmingly want this, you mean less than ten percent of people, then that's that's uh, that's hogwash. That's nonsense. And again, this is we don't have a free market society in Canada. This is mer more more akin to mercantilism. This is the government picking winners and losers, kneecapping entire industries that they don't want to be successful. This is them using the full power of the federal government to coercively change market behavior. We don't have a free market society. So again, our government, with the thinnest mandate ever in Canadian history, they're using this this socialistic uh, supply and confidence coalition between the NDP and the Green. Well, I mean, the Greens aren't officially a part of it, but they vote along party lines. They're, what I think they have one seat, or I mean, it's pretty small. But um, you know, all these parties who are the same ideological parties just in different colors are ganging up together to force Canadians to spend their money to curb their own freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to defend oneself and one family, and then freedom in market behavior in the economy. No wonder China is trending on Twitter because we are a command and controlled, centrally planned country, a la totalitarian socialistic nations like the Soviet Union, like the CCP. This is where we are in Canada right now. And the crazy part of it is the government is coercively confiscating Canadian citizens' money in order to forward this insane communo-fascistic revolution. And most churches are silent. Most you know, Christians don't say anything about what's going about on. Let's yeah, talk about that give your comments let's, on that. Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute because one of the questions that I'm sure our audience might be thinking is, well, what, what, what can we do? What do I do? How do we push back against essentially a, a state that is saying that they're God, right? That's what they're saying. That, that, this is why Christians need to wise up to what's going on here. We are dealing with another religion, a false religion, and, and, and a state that thinks it's God. A state that says, we can tell you how to defend yourself. We can tell you how to spend your money. We can tell you where to go and where you can't go. And a state that has the audacity to say, we can tell you what male and female are. We can tell you what marriage and sexuality is. So one of the ways that we can push back, and we need to mention this because it's only about a week and a half away, is through Biblical Sexuality Sunday. So if you remember, this time last year, Bill C-4 came into law. Bill C-4 is the anti-conversion therapy law, which essentially says 
that if you try to counsel someone to embrace a biblically accurate sexuality, which is they're a man, they're in a male body, they're a man, not a woman, marriage is one man and one woman for, for life. If you say to someone, this is right and normative, don't embrace something else, rather embrace God's design for marriage and sexuality, you are guilty of administering conversion therapy and you could face up to five years in prison. So what we did last year is we said, well, no, thank you. You have no authority to tell the church what to preach and you certainly have no authority over marriage and sexuality. That's God's domain. So what we did last year is we preached on biblical sexuality the Sunday after Bill C-4 became law. We had countless pastors across Canada and the United States join in this initiative. And it was hugely successful. We've already aired the interview that we did with Pastor Matt Rowan and the Harback family to show the transformative power of God's word in the life of just one young woman. I'm sure that the Lord did significantly more than that in the lives of people. And we committed when we created this initiative, we were going to do it every year. Every year on the anniversary of Bill C-4 becoming law, we were going to preach on biblical sexuality and a biblical sexual ethic, one, in the hopes that the Lord would use this to overturn this evil law, two, to tell the state that marriage is God's domain and not their own, and three, because we believe that the word of God is powerful to transform lives and to save people from sins and lifestyles that are destructive and that are quite literally harming and destroying their bodies. So that's coming up very soon. Sunday, January 15th is this year's Biblical Sexuality Sunday initiative. So I am inviting you, I am challenging you, I am calling on all pastors in all churches, if you're hearing this, to preach on biblical sexuality on Sunday, January 15th. The theme is male and female from the beginning. So you can take off of that Matthew 19, 4 passage. You can go to Genesis. You can be in 1 Corinthians 6. You can look in Ephesians, whatever you want, but preach on a biblical sexual ethic on January 15th, joining in unity and solidarity with pastors, not only in Canada, not only in the United States, but also a number of brothers in Europe will be joining as well. We have gone intercontinental with Biblical Sexuality Sunday. Right. So if you're a pastor, join in that. And after the fact, you can go to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com, click on Initiatives and Biblical Sexuality Sunday. There you'll find a description of what's going on. And then after the fact, there's a form for you to fill out to submit your name, your church name, your church website, and a link to the sermon. This isn't going to be a published list. This will be for us to have so we can follow up and we can track how many men joined us. Mm -hmm. If you are not a pastor, if you are if you go to a church and you're listening to this, I want to encourage you with a little bit of little bit of kind of unction to press your pastor and say, can we do this? Can we join mm -hmm. in this as well? Can we can we stop being cowardly? Can we stop letting the state dictate the terms of worship? Can we please support brothers across now the world who are doing this? Because this is one of the ways we push back, right? This is one of the ways that we're not merely reactionary, mm -hmm. but this is how we take an offensive against the gates of hell, grounded upon the truth of Christ's words that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the expansion of the kingdom of God and the growth of the church and the mission of the church. And so this is how we push back. You ask, mm -hmm. how do we fight back against a tyrannical state? This is one of the ways. So please, please 
reach out to us, email me at churches at libertycoalitioncanada.com for more information. Check out our website. Join in this. Lord willing, we can have thousands more men this year join worldwide in this, Mm -hmm. declaring the truth of the word of God, pushing back against a tyrannical state. I I hope you encourage your pastor, and I hope if you're a pastor that you are emboldened to join us. Andrew, it's not – we're not calling for Reformed Christians especially to do something that's out of the norm within Reformed Christian tradition, right? I'm reading a book for Christ's crown right now, and it's literally just biographical stories of Reformers who had – and, and Scottish uh, covenanters who had interactions with the state for ill or good um, by declaring the crown rights of Jesus Christ over all of life. And we're talking about men like Thomas Cartwright, uh, Edward Deering, Richard Greenham, some men that you would know more like John Knox, um, William Perkins. We're, we're, we're t- talking a list of dozens of men who have fought for the freedoms that we now enjoy as those who live in the shadow of this history, right? It, this British, British common law tradition. And we enjoy freedoms based off of the hard work and the, the just principled stands of men like these in history and, and the, the church being active and proclaiming Christ's lordship over every area of life. We have inherited this wonderful, beautiful tradition of freedom based on the gospel and based on a biblical understanding of life and the relationship between church and state and the individual and we need to recover that. We need to forsake this quiescence, this 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 acquiescing to the state in no matter what they do, because that is not faithful to scripture. That is not faithful to the our forefathers who fought for our rights and freedoms that we can worship and that we can live in the way that we do. So again, we're not just a bunch of rowdy 20 um, first century Christians who are totally making up something that's never been seen before in the history of the church. There's plenty of scripture that lays the foundation for biblical civil disobedience and for calling the state to account. And there's also the entire history of the reform tradition that backs that up as well. So, and just an honest, an honest proclamation of the word of God, right? Like, yes. Cause the reality is we have no excuse. Those no, of us who find ourselves in this particular theological camp and flavor have no excuse, yeah. but you know what? Do you believe in God and do you believe that God has designed humanity and do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Yeah. If you answer yes to those questions, then guess what? Come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. If you're Pentecostal, you're yeah. all flavors of Baptist, you're all flavors of traditions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because this predates all of this. This goes all the way back to the first century when the apostles were told, you need to stop talking about all this Jesus talk. You have mm-hmm. to stop it. And they said, "Listen, that seems right to you. That might seem right in your eyes, mm-hmm. but we we're not we're not going to obey you. We're mm-hmm. going to obey God, and that might seem right in your eyes. And so, all of us who profess Christ, and those of us who labor in teaching as pastors and elders of churches, 
those of us who say that we want our people to develop a more robust biblical worldview and honor the Lord, we need to be like our forefathers in the faith. By and, and by that I mean the apostles, and we need to say, as we preach on Sunday morning to our people, we know what the state is telling us to say. We know the state is telling us to reject God's design for marriage and sexuality, and it's telling us to keep silent and not encourage people to turn from their sin, to be born again, and to embrace a, a lifestyle that God has for them. That's what the state is telling us. And so pastors and preachers, you need to tell your people, that seems right to them, but we're not going to obey them. No, no, no. We're going to do what God tells us to do, and we're going to say what God tells us to say. And so if you bear the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you profess union with him across all stripes, then you are more than welcome, dare I say, required to join in the honest proclamation of the word of God. And here's an opportunity for that in joining us on January 15th. And again, this isn't just about seeing the law overturned, which we hope will be the case. This isn't just about telling the state you have no jurisdiction here. Mm -hmm. We have seen instances of lives changed when the word of God is proclaimed honestly yes. and truthfully. And when we deal specifically in this area of telling people, it doesn't matter how you think you were born. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what body you think you might be trapped in. You mm -hmm. must be born again and you must yes. turn to Christ in faith from your sin that you might find forgiveness of sins and everlasting life in him. So please, please consider joining us in this. We only have a week and a half before we we hope to see this launch and, and be even bigger than it was last year across the world now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And make it a part of your yearly uh, thing to do as a church. Uh, you know, I know, Andrew, you have plans every January to really dig into what this really kind of means in 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 a broader Christian worldview sense. Um, so there's there's plenty of opportunities to address the issues of our day that are actually affecting the people sitting in in the pews, um, in their daily lives, in their work, in whatever it might be. Uh, you know, it's not it's not inappropriate to. <laughs> to go after the idols of our age in a direct and, and concerted effort. And that's why we do what we do in Biblical Sexuality Sunday. And uh, God's blessed it thus far, and we hope you would participate in, in it. We thank you so much for tuning in. We really love that you give us so much of your time and listening and staying tuned and up to date with what's going on in our country. Um, we really do appreciate you. We appreciate also all the support that we've gotten over this giving season. But if you would please consider giving us a donation, helping us continue to build and grow. We've had some wonderful support um, from so many of you. But there's still so much to do there. As you see, there's no shortage of idols to destroy, of areas that we need to push back in. And um, there's this is a long fight that we're in and we need your help to, to do it. And I want you to understand we're not just blowing smoke when we say that. You make this possible. You're a part of this fight by helping support us in what we do. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider leaving a donation at libertycoalitioncanada.com uh, slash donate. 
going over to our page, clicking the donation tab or scanning that QR code. Uh, we would really, really appreciate uh, you doing that. So thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 1. Until next time, friends. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.